Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina. Now, Michael, sometimes we have really difficult jobs. We're like researching the etymology of phrases to decide whether we should cancel them out of our lexicon. Sometimes we're getting into like labor negotiations and plans for the NBA's future. Sometimes we're debating the the value of um, you know protests versus distractions and all these things with regard to the Black Lives Matter movement. We've been getting into some heavy stuff here over the last couple months, is my point. Today, it's one of those easier days, Michael. Today, we just come on the podcast and we try not to compare Luca to too many religious icons. I mean, that's really basically our job today is like, don't be blasphemous while we gush about Luka Doncic for an hour straight. Michael, I have never seen in the history of the Open Floor podcast the level of outpouring and excitement that our email box got last night about Luca, dozens of people, many of them just emailing in his name with as many U's as they could possibly muster, Luca, after the shot that he hit in Game 4 overtime to even the series with the Los Angeles Clippers. It was a wild moment in the building. Um, I think uh, it's putting Luca into some really interesting conversations that we're going to dive into a little bit. But Michael, I want to open this thing up first by really uh, letting our listeners have their say in it. What do you think? Yeah, uh, just it like Luca still almost 24 hours later just leaves me completely speechless. Uh, I was watching the game uh, on my couch and my wife was next to me uh, doing something else like fiddling on her phone but kind of glancing up and kind of trying to ignore me as I was yelling at the Clippers for switching Reggie Jackson onto Luca on every possession down the stretch in crunch time 
And when he hit that step back, first of all, as soon as Reggie Jackson switched out onto him, I said that the ball was going in the basket, regardless of what type of shot he was going to take. I just knew that it was it, it was just that kind of day for Luca. And he drills it. I look over at my wife and her her like jaw drops. Like even she <laughs> understood that it was just this ridiculous performance, like capstone shot. Uh, the step back from however many feet, 30 whatever feet. Like, he, I don't even know what else to say. I mean, he's coming off the sprained ankle. You can't really type an email uh, with too many U's, uh, I think, <laughs> in the subject head after that one. Yeah, it was absolutely ridiculous. Did it feel a little bit like Manifest Destiny? I was sitting there watching that game, and he's hitting everything. And, like, he's just getting wherever he wants to go. And as you're mentioning, like, a lot of it is coming against Reggie Jackson. And I got to be honest, as somebody who called Reggie Jackson for years Root Canal Reggie because it's kind of so painful to watch him play, (laughs) the fact that basically... Luca turned the dentist drill around on Reggie Jackson and just punished him play after play after play. It felt like a personal ode to me, which was uh, which was very nice of him. But as I'm sitting there watching it, um, when Morris hits that corner three and the Clippers are going nuts and they feel like they've got it, it's like they're one stop away from the win here, and then they're cruising three one, you know, home free in this series. Uh, Mark Medina, who's sitting next to me, is like, whatever, Luca's going to hit the game winner. It's fine. This is just setting Luca up. And he was dead serious, flat serious. I don't know if he has uh, some sort of ability to see the future. But as soon as he said that, I was like, huh, yeah, you're right. This is like really set up perfectly for Luca to do it. Like, it doesn't really seem that Luca's role in these current basketball narratives is to be that young, plucky underdog who kind of just mm-hmm. gets dismissed by the older team this easily right like he's he's in it for the long haul he's pushing these clippers a lot harder than they expected to be pushed and so when he comes down and buries that three and first of all he set that thing up with multiple changes of direction in less than three seconds i mean if you really go back and watch the task that reggie jackson had we shouldn't really bag on reggie on that one First of all, we should bag on Kawhi for switching off Lucas so softly. Again, another late-game mistake by either him or the Clippers coaching staff. I do not know what they're doing in these situations down here. It just, to me, is inexcusable. Um, but everyone knows Lucas going to take that shot in that moment with three seconds left. And to just leave basically your worst defender, your smallest defender, out there on an island, uh, that's a team problem. That's not a Reggie Jackson problem. But Luca, the shiftiness, the change of direction – Every single time he went left to right, right to left, he put Jackson in a decision of like, where's this guy going? You could tell he had no idea, you know, which direction. And he's just so um, slippery with that ball. And ultimately, he winds up settling for what Trey Burke called, you know, not the world's best shot. I mean, it was pretty funny after the game. Trey Burke's like, yeah, I thought he could have gotten a better shot, but well, I guess he didn't need it. Um, Completely true. I mean, the average person's hitting that shot, what? 18% of the time, you know, 21% of the time. But, you know, he nails it, drills it. Everybody goes crazy on the court. They were still super pumped up 15, 20 minutes after the game. I mean, Rick Carlisle was deep in his bag celebrating that shot. I mean, he's comparing it to to like 6G wireless network saying Luca reminds him of Jason Kidd and Larry Bird. I mean, he he told Tim McMahon that Luca is tougher than Tim McMahon, the ESPN reporter, is, and that if McMahon went to the um, health club, he would never be able to take the pounding that Luca takes. I mean, it was just a tour de force performance uh, <laughs> by uh, by Carlisle, who's usually pretty buttoned up, right? So uh, it was 
very fun to experience in person. It was one of those moments that made you think, man, if this was in front of the Dallas crowd, what an all-time experience for 20,000 people to have, you know, being there in person. Uh, But at the same time, it was such a great shot with such huge stakes. Um, It was, you know, unexpected in a certain way, but also kind of felt like manifest destiny it's like oh yeah this guy's the chosen one he's supposed to hit this shot just like this at 21 um that the moment transcended the bubble i had no problem that it was in the bubble compared to somewhere else because it just hit that hard i also kind of feel like once morris's three went in it's there was just way too much time and i didn't really understand the celebration because they could not stop this guy down the stretch now Kawhi had that one possession where he kind of forced that tough contested floater and really stood in front of Luka and it was just like like just apex Kawhi defense but at the same time I also thought that that floater was going to go in the basket um so it just it had like a, a feel of like vintage Tom Brady after the Patriots give up a touchdown and lose the lead but there's like still a minute and a half left to go and they still have two timeouts like you just know what's gonna happen great call great call yeah and so i didn't like think for two seconds that the clippers were gonna win that game uh i think you're right to kind of i guess like Kawhi does deserve some criticism for that last play and just how easily they were willing to switch i mean like it's okay to fight through a maxi kleber screen (laughs) to stay on Luca on up oh. that possession. Like, you know where the ball is going. Yeah, I, look, I, I, their, their defensive plan, I guess, was to switch everything on the perimeter. And I understand that being the plan. But I do think there needs to be some conversations here. Look, when you get into those tight moments, the last play, like, sometimes the book goes out the window. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes teams just get so regimented into how they want to normally play it. And I imagine they're switching in that situation because they're wor- worried that you know, too much pressure on top against Luka could lead to someone flashing open towards the basket. They only need a two to win, right? So that's right, probably some point. of their, their that's probably some of their thought process. But at the same time, like it goes back to that Devin Booker situation that drove me crazy two weeks ago. And I do think this was a case, you know, the chickens came home to roost again. In that Booker game winner that everybody remembers from him laying on the ground, he gets a, a very clean look over one defender. Kawhi thought about doubling him backed away from it there's like one second left in regulation and it's Devin Booker of course he's shooting the basketball you have to leave Mm -hmm. Ricky Rubio open in the corner if Rubio beats you with a corner three because you doubled Booker fine you live with it in this situation letting Luka get to what I would you know what he would consider his spot I would consider to be you know not ideal spot on the court (laughs) but yet for let for him to get a comfortable shot off in the final three seconds is just the worst possible scenario right other than losing somebody underneath the basket so he can find him for a quick assist you just don't have that much time and you know this guy wants to be the hero if they're scouting his other bubble games when it gets to those pressure moments Luca always wants to be the guy to do it. Like, it's just hardwired in him. He has that Kobe, MJ vibe to him. And there was actually some moments earlier in the bubble where he wanted it too badly, and he was being wild, and he was making really crazy shot selection decisions and, and you know, just poor, poor decisions in that moment where, you know, you potentially could fluster him a little bit. Now, he settled in amazingly well, and like you said, he was getting basically mm-hmm. everything he wanted. Uh, but again, like, I don't think with the not the season on the line but a major make or break playoff game you can there's just no excuse to have your worst defender lined up 
against their best player on that last spot. And that's and that's why I do think it's on Kawhi to either say, look, I'm not switching. I'm staying on this guy. Um, or Paul George, either one of those guys. And, mm-hmm. you know, also making sure that, you know, you think about doubling him. Get the ball out of his hands. There's three seconds left. Don't let him dribble five times and set up this beautiful step back. It's crazy to me. Yeah, 100%. I think that, you know, I go back to, first of all, we should mention that Reggie Jackson is only on the floor because Pat Beverly was injured. So, you know, I... I, Look, Reggie Jackson doesn't want to be out there either. I think everybody can agree. Like, (laughs) it's not... He's the the guy who's going to get, you know, picked on when you watch the tape. Like, he doesn't Mm -hmm. deserve all the blame here. Like, I'm making this entire team thing here, and I'm putting a lot of it on Kawhi because, again, I think the decision in that moment is not to switch, to fight through, like you're describing. And if the plan was to switch, you tell Doc in the huddle, they had a timeout right before that, we're not switching here. I got Luka, right? And you're telling Paul George, hey, if he goes your way, run at him because he wants to shoot it. And it'd be, it would be nice if we had four hands up instead of two hands. This is, The predicament is obvious that, obviously just that Luka is maybe the best passer alive right now he's in the conversation like no disrespect to lebron and and cp and ricky rubio and whoever else you want to throw in the conversation but like harden like uh just in terms of guys who have the ball in their hands a lot and who make really smart decisions when you're only have milking like a one point lead it just makes the defense the defensive decision so tough um but one thing i want to hit on real quick is what you mentioned earlier about Uh, narratives and him upending them and just kind of the traditional way we look at young players and young players. He's got to pay his dues, right? He's getting into the playoffs. He's got to deal with the hostile crowds. Is he going to be ready for (laughs) primetime? I'm the guy who said that for six months straight, and I've never felt better getting made look worse. Yeah, and like those are just – tried and true i think if you look at history like no players have success just off the jump when they enter the playoffs and they're not favored to win a series and they're going against not just like a a a superior team but like the team that everyone thinks is going to win the title um with the defending finals mvp guarding your best player dare i say dare i say shades of 1986 michael Dare I say, Michael Jordan <laughs> giving the Boston Celtics all they could handle in the first round? Dare I, dare I make the comparison? Yes, and the Bulls were promptly swept from that series, so uh, it doesn't even really apply. <laughs> no, so, I mean, it's a great point. Like The historical standards here are Luka has set a record for the most points ever scored by a player in his first playoff game. He now owns that record. The other people on the list were like George Mikan and Kareem, right? Like all-timers. <laughs> Then he comes back. Now he's the youngest person with the 40-point triple-double. And his line from last night, which I think was like 43, 17, and 13, something just absolutely absurd like that, that line has never been matched in the history of the NBA playoffs, right? So when we are trying to say like, well, what does history tell us about like 21-year-old players getting into this moment? History hasn't seen a Luka. Um, Doesn't mean he's the greatest player of all time, but uh, we're all trying to like wrap our minds around exactly what's happening. And by the way, it's not just us commentators. I mean... Dwayne Wade, Damian Lillard, mm-hmm. all these guys on Twitter looking around like, wait a minute, what are we watching right now? <laughs> like, please, somebody explain this thing to us. So I think one of the really fascinating aspects of this is just that, like, so that was game four, tied the series. It was 
you know, heroic by basketball standards to have that performance right after the ankle scare when it looked like, you know, I thought there was like this chance that his, the series was just over for him based on how he was hobbling and how he looked and what his demeanor was on the bench. It looked very, very serious. So for him to come back, play 45 minutes, uh, do an unprecedented, have an unprecedented 40 plus point triple double, um, is basketball mythology. But like at the same time, I, I do come back to, Okay, was that Dallas's Super Bowl? And Game 5, which, you know, these are kind of the, those performances where even though it looked like the Clippers were, you know, firing on all cylinders, they clearly weren't. Game 5 is like one of those games where, like just shifting the conversation to the Clippers for two seconds, it's one of those games where if you want to win the championship, you win this game by like 22 points. You know what I mean? And so... I'm really fascinated to see how Luca bounces back on the ankle, which is probably just in just giving him a lot of uh, a lot of pain right now. How he bounces back with only one day off in a game five against a team that is going to give him everything that yeah. they have, and Look, what they have is like some of the best defensive players in basketball. I mean, I'll, I'll be the Grinch. I still think the Clippers are going to win this series. Um, mm-hmm. But when you're saying firing on all cylinders, like I don't know anything about auto, uh, you know, auto engines. I don't know if a six cylinder <laughs> is good or an eight cylinder is good, but I think they they ran over a skunk and its its corpse is inside one of those cylinders right now. Um, it's just <laughs> clogging things up. They're not hitting on all cylinders because Paul George is um, has the lowest field goal percentage in the playoffs. But uh, of anyone who's taken at least 25 shots so far, um, I think he's shooting like 29% from the field. So, uh, Michael, for people who aren't, you know, deep into analytics, um, that's bad. And uh, that's going to be an issue. And, and hopefully he could turn it around because otherwise he's going to wind up, you know, this, this, that, this series could really leave a mark on his name. If he's not able to turn it around, the stakes are very, very high for him. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 
it. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Look, that's depressing talk. I said we're coming on here to hype up our guy, Luke, and, and we're going to let the open floor globe weigh in, okay? I'm just going to read you a sampling of these. Um, you know, just you know, ponder as we go along and just you know, tell me what strikes you. Mark says, are the Luka-led Mavericks the most likable team in the NBA? I'd say yes. I could laundry list a hundred reasons, but here's the top ten. Luca, 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 the unicorn, the assist to basket ratio, ke- uh, charisma, unselfishness, offense, international character, bench explosiveness. I actually admire his restraint for only listing Luca as three of the top ten reasons there. Could have gone to six or seven, Mark, I think. Uh, Jason adds, while watching today's brilliant performance by Luca, I was getting flashbacks of LeBron against the Pistons in Game 5 of the 2007 Eastern Conference Finals when he scored the last 25 points for Cleveland. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the way that Luca's playing at 21, absolutely willing his team to win, was very reminiscent of 22-year-old LeBron, where he did the same thing against another great defensive team. Um, if the Mavericks are somehow able to pull off the series upset, am I crazy to think that this game from Luka will eventually go down as a legend origin game similar to that game from LeBron? Ross weighs in and says, Normally I would be cursing out Suns' ownership for taking DeAndre Ayton over Luka. Similar to Booker's game winning uh, game winner against the Clippers, I dragged my son Maximus in to watch the fourth quarter and overtime of this game. Luca's final shot went up, and when it splashed through, Maximus leapt onto me in joy. One of the best games I've ever seen in 30 years watching the NBA, and a top five game from Luca all time. The heart and the joy he plays with is magnificent to watch. Um, Joel writes in. So I know everyone has got to be messaging you the same thing right now, but that was a historic performance. Wow, I can't even think of a similar big game performance. And coming off an ankle turn just two days ago, like you mentioned earlier, Michael, I can't wait to hear the in-person perspective on that game. Wow, wow, wow. So you see what I'm saying? I mean, this was a small sampling, Michael, of dozens of emails about people who are just geeking out about Luca. I did have the thought about Ross where... You know, DeAndre Ayton and Bagley and Trey Young, there's a very good chance those guys, none of them, has a better moment than Luka's moment at any point in the course of their careers. And that just puts that whole draft decision-making process into a really, you know, stark relief there. You're just like, wow, like Mm. this guy at 21 has already reached a higher peak than any of the three guys he was sort of like passed over for, quote-unquote, may ever get to. I'm sure Trey's fans might push back a little bit, but I mean, like these people are saying, he just put up 43-point triple-double in the playoffs. Um, what do you think? What what jumps out from that response? Uh, did you like the Did you like the LeBron comparison? Do you think the Mavs are the most likable team? Um, what do you think, Mike? Okay, so let's start with LeBron. I you know that game was in the Eastern Conference Finals, Game Five. Um, 
and it was against a team that had already won the championship. So I, I think, like, in terms of origin stories and all that, perhaps... Uh, I think, first of all, I, I just think that Luka needs to win this series first before we, like, get into uh, that kind of talk. Totally um, agree. Great point. Let me ask you, though, do you think people are being drawn to Luka and this shot in mm-hmm. a way that they weren't drawn to LeBron with that run. I always wonder, like, did early LeBron have the respect but not the love? Did he capture people's minds but not quite their hearts? Because um, I feel like Luca <laughs> so right poetic. now, no, Luca right now is like Casanova. I mean, he is just ripping people's hearts out of their bodies and turning them into like diehard believers. I just see it every single day on social media. My my Instagram inbox, all these emails. People are falling head over heels in love with this guy. I'm wondering, did LeBron have the same the same ability at that same age? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they're two very distinctly different eras for a variety of reasons. Um, so it's t- kind of tough to go back and think what the consensus feelings were about LeBron in a non-social media era. Um, I do think that, like, Luca deserves, you know, all the praise right now and just kind of pivoting towards the likability of this team. It's I, I don't really like personally, just as a basketball fan, I want the Clippers to advance because I think they're a better team and I think that um, they create more intriguing matchups going forward because of just how complete they are. And I don't think we've seen nearly what they're capable of for a variety of reasons. Um but that said, like, I look at this Mavericks team and, you know, they have Luka, they have Boban, they have Seth Curry, who has not missed a shot, I think, since he entered the bubble. They have this offensive firepower off the bench that just comes from such unlikely places. And I wrote about this on uh, Friday for GQ about how Dallas's offense is even better without Luka. And, you know, I don't think that this team is better without Luka. That's not even close to what I'm saying. It's more that their second unit, whenever Luka needs a blow, these guys like Trey Burke and Seth Curry and, uh, you know, just anybody who's coming off the bench for that team are really pulling through in a lot of really interesting ways. And it has it, it has a lot to do with everyone's ability to shoot threes, which is always uh, really fun. It spaces the floor, allows these guys to attack the basket. Um, and it's just like a really fun brand of basketball to watch, I think. And so I love Dallas. I am finding myself, again, just really confused as to whether or not I should be rooting for them. I can't root against them, though. They are extremely likable and... I don't know if they're the most likable team because I really love Portland and I'm just like all in on Dame Lillard right now. And it's probably just because of having more of a history with him uh, and with that team. But yeah, man, like if you don't like Luka, just stop. Yeah, Dallas is the flavor of the month, right? I mean, we can definitely Mm -hmm. agree on that. They're everybody's new second favorite team, I think. Um, Yeah, I I do think it starts with his personality, though. Uh, You know, just in the same way as for Portland, it starts with, um, you know, Dame's personality. I mean, just the steeliness laying games for Dame sets the tone for their whole team. The fact that Luka runs around the court like a puppy who just wants to score 100 points on you every single night and just has so much fun with it, um, it's completely infectious. And I think it's given some of those second and third uh, tier guys on their roster the confidence, right? I 
some of these guys, I didn't even think that they were like NBA quality players last year. And now they're stepping up like crazy. And it just doesn't seem like it's a coincidence that they're all playing very well. And I think you give a lot of credit to their offensive system. I've mentioned that to you before about Houston's system gets all this talk because they're super spread out and it works for Harden and, and Westbrook. But uh, you know, Dallas is, is super spread out as well. It makes a lot of sense. The pieces fit really well together mm-hmm. and they have a bunch of different guys who can break you down off the dribble. So it doesn't always have to be the Luka show. And those guys are thirsty. Like Trey Young and Seth Curry are thirsty for points. They really want to score. And when they get their chance, they just do, they do not wait. They're like, all right, it's my turn to go out here and do this thing. Um, so you, you do love to, to see them having moments and shining. We're going to get into like the Clipper side of this here in a second, but I just want to ask you a couple of quick rapid fire kind of placement. How hype are we getting here? Do we need to like pump the brakes a little bit type questions and comparisons? And just mm-hmm. give me, you know, your one or two sentence response to these. All right. If you had to pick Giannis or Luka to start a franchise from this moment forward with the goal of winning the maximum number of titles, who Mm -hmm. do you pick? Uh, (laughs) What a question. Um, I'm going going Luka. Obviously, there's an age advantage. He's younger by a few years. Um, I just think like... In today's NBA, I can easily build a top flight, literally best offense of all time type of offense around Luka Doncic. And yeah, you just Giannis, did it this year. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I know I know that that can happen. Dallas and I did have it not with even, spare parts. Yes. And I have not even seen this dude's prime yet. Like we're just getting started with Giannis. It's it's like we have this glaring flaw in his game. And it's the outside shot. And in crunch time, even though Dallas's crunch time offense has been pretty suspect all season long for a variety of reasons. Um, Often because of Luka, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so that's fair. But he is also, you know, like 20 years old or whatever he is. But with Giannis, we've seen him really struggle in the playoffs. And we've seen teams be able to scheme against him and use his flaws uh, to their benefit. So... I'm not saying that Giannis can never develop a three-point shot, and if he ever does develop a three-point shot, then sure, like, game over. Everybody, go home. But right now, just what I've seen from Luka offensively, um, he's just more polished also in terms of setting everybody up, having vision of, like, seeing two or three moves ahead already. Uh, I don't... You know, Giannis is not a bad playmaker by any stretch of the imagination. He certainly can make those reads, but it's just not on the same level as Luca, who is just like this total prodigy. Um, defensively, I, yeah, it's like Giannis is a defensive player of the year, possible winner this season, and will only improve on that end going forward as well. Uh, so it's, it's, I mean, it, like we're, we're totally splitting hairs here. Um, I think just if I'm projecting forward, I just like a lot of what Luca can bring to the table, particularly like if his three point shot gets more accurate, then that's just, <laughs> that's, that's also game over. Yeah. I think I've been probably the, the biggest Giannis acolyte in the media for the last four or five years (laughs) in part because I so respect his commitment to self-improvement. I think that Mm -hmm. is his defining skill and that we all need to try to be like Giannis in our daily lives and we will just be better. If you can constantly up your points and rebounds and assists in your daily life just a little bit year after year after year, 
next thing you know, um, you know, you might be leading a 60 win team in your personal life. So just keep that in mind. Um, and I think that's like one of my absolute core values as a person. So I've always championed him for that. I think the biggest difference between him and Luca is that Luca to me really feels like one of the purest basketball prodigies that we've ever seen in terms of how early he was doing things at a high level overseas, how quickly he's hit the ground running here. He doesn't have to learn these things. He's just like intuitively has known them, right? And Giannis has had to learn a lot of stuff about the Mm -hmm. NBA and the way basketball is played, and he was playing catch-up a little bit. Um, Obviously, he was a little bit off the radar, you know, as a teenager. And to his credit, he's picked up that stuff faster than basically anyone. But for whatever reason, Luca just was born to play basketball. He reminds me of, like, what people would talk about with Bobby Fischer as a chess player, right? Like, shocking rooms of guys who are, like, 40 years older than him because he's, like, pulling off all these... Uh, you know, crazy, uh, you know, chess sequences and they just never saw it coming or like those like violinists who are like 12 years old who are just like blowing away professional violinists, right? I mean, that really is kind of Luca's vibe right now. And when you compare him to some of these other players, it's so interesting because he's already so complete that he doesn't have kind of like the signature flaws, if you want to call that, of some of the other high-level guys. So like with Giannis, as you're mentioning, he's already got a very comfortable three-point shot, um, and he's a natural playmaker instead of a you know a self-taught playmaker like Giannis. With LeBron, he doesn't have to worry about the age factor, right? He's just younger, and he's got that advantage. With Kawhi, Luka knows how to smile and knows how to carry a conversation. Like he, he knows how to like <laughs> Damn. you know kind of appeal to uh, you know appeal to the masses. And then with Harden, I think there is a there's kind of a Uh, a treatment of teammates aspect here right where uh i think that harden tends to kind of like chafe on people around him where it needs to be kind of everything needs to be centered around him and he's willing to force the issue if it's not um you know him and chris paul hold on hold on you can defend him in a second okay him and chris paul (laughs) i say this largely because him and chris paul here in the bubble are like not communicating on the court right i mean Mm -hmm. there is just they went from you know sidekicks and uh you know trying to go chase a title to basically they're going different directions everybody else on that team in houston has to kind of play a role around him and he's done a pretty good job of incorporating westbrook i'm going to give him credit for that we can go back to the dwight situation i mean that blows up and you know harden's in this you know in the spot where you know he gets his way and houston's been very straightforward about how much they cater to him and i do think with luca like whether it's the personality if it's the joy aspect if it's just the fact that he hasn't um, been around long enough to kind of, you know, get all of those treatments, I do think that it's just a different vibe around the team. You know, those guys are bought in and they are felt feeling empowered in a Luka offense in ways that maybe Houston's role guys aren't. And I think that's going to serve him well going forward. So this is not to bag on any of these other players and to say, yeah, now Luka's the mm-hmm. best player in the entire world. You've got to put him above all of those guys. But it just feels like when we're checking the box on like where his career could go, some of the things that hold back these other primetime level players, whether it's on or off the court, from a marketing standpoint, from a game standpoint, Luca already has pretty convincing answers to those questions. Uh, yeah, I don't think we've ever seen anyone do what he's doing at such a young age um, in on and off the court ways. But what I just want to say real quick in bringing up Harden and kind of separating the two by how he treats his teammates i think no player is immune from 
like the way that we in the media and the way that just NBA observers and fans like to build up young stars and then eventually, inevitably tear them down. So Luca right now, the, the, the expectation for Luca is multiple MVPs. It is multiple championships. And if he does not accomplish both or one of the two uh, before his next contract or in the middle of his next contract, like there will be a lot of criticism. And with that criticism and with that pressure comes rifts with potential rifts with the organization, potential rifts with coaching coaches, potential rifts with teammates. And so I just my, I guess my point is, like, give it time, because Unless Luca like wins the title this year, yeah, your, your take basically is like even Magic Johnson killed a few coaches along the way, and so like let's yeah. not let's not say he's a hundred percent pure. I think that's fair. Um, at the same time, Michael, this is actually what they call the honeymoon period. We are we just yes. landed in Smack Hawaii. dab in the middle of it. Yes, Luca's got the the lay around his neck from the airline attendant. Um, we have just stepped off the plane. It's not raining. We're about to go get our rental car. We're gonna have our choice of like six different Range Rovers. <laughs> this is the moment to be excited we're not going to worry about the future people doubting luca um not right now michael we could save that for later additions um i to answer my own question 12 minutes later to start a franchise mm-hmm. right now i would take luca and again i would say i'm the biggest Giannis defender in the entire media atmosphere i would take luca because of the age and i would take luca because of how well his skill set aligns with where the game is right now you know, as we've seen, the, the multidimensional playmakers who can score for themselves and others drive winning basketball in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and he is doing it against the very best defenders consistently. He's only going to get smarter and better. He's unbelievably confident and self-assured, and um, he, gets, he, he improves a lot, too. Uh, he learns mm-hmm. quickly, and, and we're seeing that already. Okay, let me ask you, is there any other player in the league, if it's not Giannis, that you would take over Luca to start a franchise, or is he number one on that that conversation right now? I can't, like, in good conscience, take another player. You want to take Tatum? Is that it? No, I mean, let let me finish. I I think that there are other players in the conversation. And, yes, Tatum is in the conversation for me as someone who, you know, we're talking about incremental growth and – what we saw from him this season in year three at the age of 22, where he goes from, okay, this dude is a really intriguing scorer, takes a lot of mid-range jumpers, whatever, uh, disappointment in his sophomore season to now where he's just going toe-to-toe with Kawhi, going toe-to-toe with LeBron, just demolishing the Philadelphia 76ers in a four-game sweep like it was absolutely nothing. Uh, you combine that that trajectory, uh, that incline, with just the offensive skill set, which I think is as prodigious as a scorer as Lucas is as a playmaker. If that makes any sense, and you know this guy already has the step back three in his arsenal, and he makes them. Luca does not really make those step backs very often. Tatum makes them regularly, like Dame Lillard numbers and he's taller and his footwork is just uncanny and he is also as Does Tatum like, know how to pass though I mean is that part so of- uh, uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, well, I mean, if Come the objective, on, bro. if the, I mean, if Luke the, uh, is a lot better okay. than Tatum, and I had to, I have to jump in here at some point. I get it. Tatum's also very high on this list, but uh-huh. there's not really an argument for Tatum over Luca, is there? I'm trying to make one, and I, like, like defensively, we have a guy whose ceiling is in all defense. Like, he will be perennially on all defensive teams. And Luca, I don't think that that's where he's at. He's not. I think Luca is a better defender than he gets credit for. But he's not like just completely changing games and guarding multiple positions like Tatum does. So we have that in in Tatum's corner, real quick. I'm like, look again. Like, I'm taking Luca. And I think Luca is also in this situation where, as we've talked about, he has some of the best three-point shooters in the entire NBA on his team. And he has a coach who understands analytics and understands the smartest way to take advantage and utilize his skill set. So to that, he is, I mean, that aspect, those aspects are a blessing for him. Um, and he doesn't really need to share the spotlight as as Tatum has had to throughout his career up until the past uh, six or so months. Here's my take on Luka versus Tatum. It feels to me like kind of the remixed version of LeBron versus Paul George. I think Tatum has a higher ceiling than Paul George long term. Um, but I think that like ultimately like the things that Luka does better than Tatum, I do think are going to wind up winning more at a higher level more often than Tatum right like I'm definitely seeding the argument just like I'm sure some people would that Paul George is a better two-way player than LeBron for a lot of their their shared primes Um, but I think if you know which mold of player do you prefer to win at a high level I think I would prefer LeBron light in Luka than you know Paul George plus with Tatum what do you think Mm. uh Okay, yeah, I see where you're, where your your head's at there. Um, I think that Tatum is going to be substantially better than Paul George. Like, not even it won't even be a conversation pretty soon. Um, I think Tatum's better than Paul George right now. So, uh, well, this week he is, Michael. I think you're shooting better than Paul George. <laughs> <laughs> I think Marcus Smart is even shooting better than Paul George. Which uh, who would have thought that? Um, we'll get to the Clippers side still in a little bit. We're not done okay. gushing about Luca. So, who else did you have in your conversation on for a short list for this uh, for this one? Just read some names real quick. Uh, well, look, I mean, coming into the bubble, I think you and I would have had Zion on this list, and I don't know, like, where do you stand with that right now? Because there are a lot of physical concerns that, you know, they, there were physical concerns beforehand, but I think that they've been amplified by his performance in the bubble and just how disappointing he was in a lot of ways. And I don't know how much of that is us uh, getting ahead of ourselves and really exaggerating our concern. No. no, he has a lot to prove. I mean, come on. He's he, yeah. and The other thing, too, is that we're, the bubble ball is a little bit different than regular season basketball. And all the things that Luka's really good at and all the things that LeBron's really good at, I mean, that's kind of driving the wins here. I mean, same thing like you're mentioning with Tatum, those step-back threes. They won. The, they swept Philadelphia because he could get any jump shot he needed at pretty much any moment, and they couldn't cover enough ground on the perimeter to stop they it, had, right? They had, they had nobody who could guard him, yeah. Right, and same deal with Lillard. I mean, why are they this big story coming through? Because, you know, the step-back threes and the, the spacing and the high-scoring explosions and all that, that's why they're in the first round against the Lakers. Like, that's sort of been what's driving everything. I mm-hmm. love Zion. That's not what his game is, right? And if you're just saying, like, how how is winning taking place mm. and how many of those things does he excel at? 
I mean, Zion contributes very, very well in lots of ways to winning, especially when he's healthy and physically um, right. But he's not going to be an off-the-dribble playmaker who's stepping back and shooting 25-footers. Like, that's that's not happening. Mm-hmm. So you have to leave him out of this conversation. I think Tatum over Zion in this particular conversation is fair. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. Um, Tatum is the best player on uh, a team that might go to the finals this year. Uh, uh, so they're, they're actually going home in like two weeks, but don't, oh, don't worry okay, about it too okay, much. Yeah, okay. We'll Rap- please mark... I- mark- no, no, mark down that statement, and we're going to be revisiting it. No, pretty we're, we're going to get to it later, but I've got Raptors mm-hmm. in five. Oh, okay. But, okay, I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but, um, like, other names, young players who are in this conversation, like, I think someone like uh, someone like Joel Embiid is probably too old and nope. also no longer in this conversation for a variety of reasons. Uh, would you, okay, so I'm going to throw a name out there that I think you're going to laugh at, and I do not think that this player is better than Luca, but I do think that we need to start giving him a little bit more recognition as a primary, whatever, offensive option on a, a very good team someday, and that is Devin Booker. What do you think about his name being on this list? Um, no, but, <laughs> like, it's closer to this list than it's ever been. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but he's not on this list. Um, but he is a, a very interesting player, um, improving mm-hmm. player, will be an all-star again next year. You know, he's got himself into the club. He's going to be on that level, but no, um, sorry. I mean, I don't really. Are there? Am I, who am I missing? Like, there's no, you're not some missing obvious anyone. names, but it's like no, this isn't like a silly conversation to have. You're not missing anyone because mm-hmm. the bar is set too high here. I mean, I think that you 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 listed the people who I think would be in this combo. If it's not Giannis, I think it's basically Luca and Tatum at this point. Um, I think that's pretty much the the combo, and I think it's pretty clearly Luca. All right, I'm going to give you a couple more, and please, Michael, when I say rapid fire, make it rapid fire, okay? <laughs> For if you had the rest of these bubble playoffs only, okay, so mm-hmm. nothing beyond this bubble, would you rather have Luca or LeBron on your team for the rest of these bubble playoffs if you're trying to win a title? So in answering this question, my head first went to LeBron because he's LeBron and case closed. But I think we need to talk about like who like what are the supporting casts here? Like what who what is what environment, what personnel, what system are we really breaking down because Michael, like this come on. I just said rapid fire. We can't have this, context, okay? We're trying to we're trying to make headlines here. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> look, you're having a replacement level offense and a replacement level defense. You're average on both sides. You've got some shooting but not an overwhelming amount of shooting. You've got some defense, but you're not the number one defense in the playoffs. You have basically in a random assortment of bubble players thrown together on the um, you know the it's, Michael okay. the Michael Penis Celtics, right? Uh-huh. And yeah, sure. You, but you're you're you get the first pick in the draft. That's what you've got. So you can take Luca or you could take LeBron. I'm taking LeBron. Yeah, me too. Uh, good answer. I mean, me too. yeah, I, I I know you want to go rapid fire, but I'm just gonna have to say like he's got the post game. He's got like his ability to ratchet it up on the defensive end and in crunch time. And he's just like been there before. I mean, like he's not going to get nervous. He's not going to throw the ball away. He's not going to do these. He's not going to make poor decisions. So it's just it's it's LeBron for me, like kind of easily. I agree. I think Luca has been better in the bubble than LeBron to this point. Sure. But I definitely still trust LeBron more the rest of the way. 
I think that, you know, LeBron's been kind of coasting, working his way into it. Luka, much like Damian Lillard, I think, is like coming out, nothing to lose, you know, going 100 miles an hour, just trying to make as big of a mark as you possibly can. And I love that approach. Um, but I, I would take the the, the LeBron uh, experience factor. Okay, let me. This was this is off script. We do not have it in our outline, but I have a question, an amended question that I want to ask you now. Bring it on! <laughs> I love amended uh, questions. Okay, so we just did Luca or LeBron for the rest of these playoffs. Luca, which I think is a, a fair question. Uh, I know uh, an even more interesting one to me is Luca or Harden for the rest of these playoffs. It's a great question because I actually think. Harden, Harden might be the best player in the bubble so far. It's pretty close. Like he gets He's a stud. He gets I way. Did not mean <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. He, <laughs> he gets way less attention than everybody else for obvious reasons. Um, and mm-hmm. they just blew a game the other night. He fouled out in overtime. You know, pretty inexcusable scene there. I was at that game. It was just wild from OKC's perspective. It was like a thunder fever dream with Shea Gilgis Alexander hitting corner threes and Chris hitting like a 35-foot step back three. I mean, it was mm-hmm. pretty wild. Um, man, that's really tricky. I think I would go Harden. Um, again, I think people undersell the level of playoff success he has had, and they focus too much on the playoff success that he hasn't had. Um, mm-hmm. So I would default there, and it, mostly because you know we're recording this podcast right after Luca's greatest day of his life and he even said it was like one of the best moments he's ever had in his life hitting that shot and and my whole maxim here is like you know don't judge guys on their best day or their worst day you know try to find the the average day because that will give you the truth and i think um and i think i'm so i'm trying to like kind of guard against my heart a little bit here and, and not go too overboard at the same time we're about to record a podcast for an hour talking about one player so clearly i'm not doing <laughs> that that good of a job of uh of uh, of restraining myself i would still take hard enough my thing is like if Harden had this ex- literally this exact same performance down to the the game winning buzzer beater step back three, we would move on in about what like five minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. not just so, us, by the way, like the entire NBA yes. media. It, it's it really does kind of suck for him. I feel bad for Rockets fans, but um, you know what can you do? Um, all right, let me ask you again, rapid fire. Luca or Dame as the MVP of the bubble so far, and who has been more entertaining? I put out a take before Luca hit the the fourth quarter shot that I mm-hmm. thought Luca had been the most entertaining player in the bubble, and I, I was honestly trying to get ratioed by people saying, "No, it's Damian Lillard." Didn't really happen, so that makes me think that there's actually a lot of people out there who have already decided Luca's been more entertaining than Dame. If you had to pick one for most entertaining and for bubble MVP to this point, including seeding games and the playoffs, who do you take? I'm still Team Dame in in all aspects until he gets eliminated. I think he's just like he's just the coolest dude, and I it's what has happened. And I first of all like uh, people are gonna think that I'm ducking my um, Blazers over Lakers pick and I did get a lot of tweets directed at me um, <laughs> I imagine you cr- did Michael cr- <laughs> crediting me for uh, putting up the podcast uh, after because we recorded it before game three um, our last one but uh, but yeah no Dame is he's just the coolest dude he's hit like to say nothing of Luca's step back three game winner, which is I'm never gonna forget that shot. Dame has hit 
maybe four shots in the bubble that I will never forget, like where I was when I saw them. And he's really just like stretching the boundaries of imagination with some of the stuff that he's doing. So I love Dame. I want the Blazers to be around for as long as possible because I love watching this dude play basketball. And he's he's still my MVP, I think, for the bubble. I will take Luca, but it's very, very close. And I, I co-sign everything you said about Dame. I'm not trying to put Dame down in any way. It's been a wild, wild ride, and it's not over. You know, I think Portland's still got uh, a chance to re- regroup, regather, and push the Lakers a little bit harder than they did, um, you know, in that in most recent uh, most recent game. But uh, Lucas just had a lot of moments too. I mean, even going back to that crazy win over Milwaukee, they had, um, you know, again where he's just a monster late in game against a really really good defense. I think mm-hmm. the passing part is what sets it off for me. I know that it, it's kind of you know subjective. What do you value? The crazy shot making, the passing, a little bit of everything, the two way play. I mean, Luca is not there, you know, defensively as you're describing compared to some of these other players, and that's you know where the the argument for Giannis comes in. You know, he's playing center on defense and point guard on offense the other night in a playoff game, and it's like totally working. And they're smoking you know, Orlando off the court. That's something that Luca is never going to be able to do, right? Um, but the the level of wizardry with the passing has just been so captivating. So I probably go for him for most entertaining. And uh, I, I might even put him for MVP as well. My last Luca question for you. He's a Jordan Brand athlete, and we got to give Jordan Brand their scouting department to grab Tatum and Luca when they did before the blowups, before the big glowups here. Um, I mean, hats off. Like, they nailed that round of signings. Like, there was a lot of years there where they were giving Chris Paul and Carmelo Anthony shoes that uh, no one was buying, right? So. Maybe those um, those deals didn't quite pay off, but I'm pretty sure coming down the pipeline in a couple of years, you're going to have an Air Tatum and you're going to have an Air Luca. I'm curious, Michael. I mean, Luca is one of the first international players, and obviously one of the biggest potential, you know, white NBA players of all time. When you're talking about uh, his marketing ability, um, Giannis, I think, was the first international player to get a signature shoe from Nike. Will you buy an Air Luca sneaker? Do you think the masses will buy an Air Luca sneaker? And what do you think it looks like? And basically, how ugly would it have to be for you not to buy it? <laughs> what a question! Uh, first of all, you know Jordan also has Zion on their stable in their stable. So no, they Jordan, nailed it, man. That's yeah, like one of the all-time it. one of the all-time recruiting uh, signing classes. You know, uh, we always say, "Oh, who had the best class?" Like. North Carolina or Duke, while Jordan had a ridiculous class. Yeah. Um, So, Luca, I guess they put out, it's not like his, there's there's no Air Luca yet, but they did put out uh, like a Jordan 1 that, um, a a mid Jordan 1 with like green uh, uh, bottoms that are, it's like not his signature shoe, but like a a Luca shoe um, that is, I mean, like I'm personally not a fan of Jordan 1 mids at all or lows. So that one kind of, I, I just passed it over and didn't really take it seriously. I think like, I don't want to just commit to buying Wait, a sneaker. Do you, do you have bony ankles that you're trying to hide? I mean, what's the issue there? <laughs> Just a traditionalist? On, yeah, I'm exactly. I'm a traditionalist. Okay, I don't know. Just, just, <laughs> just exploring. Get those high socks. Yeah, no. Is it, come on. We're, we're Jordan 1s. 
it got to be high. No, no, no. There's nothing more to discuss about it. Um, you need the full cement brick feeling on your feet as you're walking around in, <laughs> <laughs> in 90 degree Brooklyn. Exactly. I love um, it. I mean, I, I need to see what Luca's sneaker looks like before I commit to purchasing it. And I, I, I'm not sure I do. I feel like it wow. might be. I might be an auto cop. I mean, unless there's like feathers on it, you know, unless Kanye is designing it or whatever. Like, I might. It might be just like that automatic. Like this dude deserved a sneaker. Whatever you're throwing out there, let's just let's just get the the you, pipelines okay. rolling. So this brings up my like an obvious follow up for me. How many pairs of the uh, what are they called? Is it called the Zoom Freak? The Air Freak? What is what is Giannis's signature shoe called? Great, great question. The it might be Zoom Freak. I think I have one pair of each. The the ones and the twos. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I I I should sit down then. I was not expecting you to answer with with you having one of each. That is well, impressive loyalty on your end. Here's how embarrassing it is. I did a custom colorway uh, with the <laughs> with the Giannis too because I wanted to design my own. And then I had a workout with an NBA team. They put me through like all their paces, you know, to like test me and see if mm-hmm. I was you know ready to be signed. I mean, they weren't actually going to sign me. They were just showing me how they analyzed uh, various players. And I wore this, my custom Zoom Freaks to the workout and received lots of compliments and thumbs up from NBA players for those sneakers, Michael. So I don't know. I'm in the club. Wow. And I got I to say, yeah. That's very impressive. I think my answer to this question is that I'm not going to buy <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. I'm not Hater, like, hater, hater. I just, I, I don't think it's going to look great is like kind of my feeling. And it's really funny that you asked this question because I've been thinking about Luca's like his marketability and his power as someone able to endorse products in the United States. And for all of like his on court, the joy that he clearly brings to the game, I just don't know. Like if you were to tell me what is his personality, I couldn't really... Like I couldn't pinpoint it. Like maybe that's just because he's so new on the scene, but I do. No. I do wonder. Uh, it's a blank canvas, man. I'm telling you, he's gonna have like Beverly Hills 90210 vibes by the end of this thing. Like I think he's gonna be like a <laughs> sex symbol. I think that his shoes are gonna be awesome. I think if you like pulled, you know, 16 to 21 year old female NBA fans, I bet you that he has a very high Q rating among that demo. I think. We are about to be living in Luca's world, um, and uh, I just think you should prepare for it. Whether you buy his shoes or not, that's up to you, obviously. But uh, I just think get ready for it because this guy's coming. All right, we got a couple of questions about the Clippers side of things here. Um, Johnny writes, Paul George cannot seem to get anything going. Are you worried about Pandemic P for the rest of the series and possibly the rest of the playoffs? Kevin chimes in. Maybe Playoff P was a nickname based on past fail grades, and in reality, he was more like a Playoff D-. Paul George is shooting 31% from deep in the playoffs, starting with that hilarious clank three against the Cavaliers in 2017. It's got to be mental, right? And then somebody who identified himself with the name Strip to My Lou says, can we please get a captain accountability breakdown of the Clippers from Ben? Like how they should be the clear favorite with their roster, but they've carried themselves all season with the air of back-to-back champions who know how to flip the switch in order to get the three-peat, even though they're not in that spot. So, Michael, a little Clippers backlash. What do you make of it, Paul George's struggles? What other issues are you seeing from the Clippers side of things? And do you buy into this developing narrative that they're not taking things seriously enough? 
I'm not jumping off the Clippers bandwagon just yet. Uh, you know, we talked about like heading into the bubble, just all the weird circumstances that some of these teams had to face and are still facing because of coronavirus. And I think the Clippers were hit really hard by it. And, you know, Landry Shamit tests positive, and that's presumably why they had to shut down their practice facility. Lou Williams goes to Magic City and eats wings, and then he has to quarantine for 10 days. Uh, Montrez Harrell's grandmother passed away. He left the bubble and um, has not looked like the Montrez Harrell who we saw during the regular season. Uh, right now, Pat Beverly is hurt, as we mentioned earlier, and so he hasn't even been able to really compete in this series, in a series where he's probably the guy who's guarding Luka the most. Um, so, like, look, the Clippers had, I think, the second best offense in the NBA this season. They were top five in defense. Uh, their their best player is the world's most complete player and a two-time finals MVP. Their coach is a Hall of Famer who's been to two finals. I just think, like, the way that they conducted themselves during the regular season, I, I understand the criticism. But, like, all they did was load management. And, honestly, that's what the Toronto Raptors did last season and they won the championship with like no history or legacy to speak of. So I, I don't think like that the Clippers have conducted themselves in an arrogant way. I just think they've been really smart and paced themselves. Now that kind of brings us to Paul George and that's a whole different can of worms there because obviously if this guy is not, playing like the MVP candidate that he was last season uh, or even like I don't even know like 70% of that player you're not gonna you're probably not gonna win the championship Um, I don't care how good Lou Williams looks um, I don't care how healthy Pat Beverly is so I don't even know like I'm not panicking yet and I think that Paul George's play so far in the bubble and particularly in the playoffs. I mean, it's a pretty small sample size and you, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. At the same time, this guy has not been out of the first round in like, what, six years? Something Since like 2014 that. was the last time he was out of the first round. Yeah, look, I'm buying Paul George stock right now because it's at such a low price that even if it goes bust, like it was a worthwhile investment, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think he is like public enemy number one on social media, not in like an angry way, but people are just loving to mock, uh, mock him. He has had now three straight really bad shooting performances in a row. We know fundamentally he is a really good shooter, and he can kind of get a good shot uh, pretty regularly. So Great shooter. I think that at some point the the odds are are back, you know, likely to go back into his favor. But it's been a big problem, and it's not the only cl- problem the Clippers have, though. I mean, you mentioned Beverly's injury is a huge deal. I mean, playing Jackson as much as they have to play him and playing him in key moments is not where they wanted to be, especially when they're looking at how deep their roster is. And it also compounds issues like having Jackson and Lou Williams on the court together when Lou can't guard anybody. Um, it just changes the combinations that they can use and, and what works and what doesn't. Um, I do think that complacency has been an issue. We've seen them blow some really big leads. Um, that's a coach's nightmare. I'm sure it's driving Doc Rivers absolutely nuts. But uh, you cannot do that against a team like Dallas that can run off these crazy runs. I mean, they're not out of games when they're down by 25 points. This is a new, different version of the NBA where, like, things aren't safe until it's, like, 35 now. You know, when I was a kid, coming back from 15 points was, like, the craziest thing that could possibly ever happen, right? 15-point fourth-quarter comeback. Like, Dallas can do 15 points in, you know, two minutes and 15 seconds. Like, no no problem there. So mm-hmm. I think that's been an issue. 
Kawhi's late game stuff has been an issue too. I don't want to harp on it more than I did earlier, but I mean, the decision not to double Booker, the decision to switch off of Luka, not having a plan on the last possession against the Lakers and kicking out to Paul George in a, a tough spot. He's had a number of really questionable uh, fouling, fouling Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, towards the end of that game the other day, yesterday. Great, great point. Also, you know, he missed the the potential game winner at the end of regulation and missed a late mm. shot in overtime as well. Like those things happen, but it we're in this era where like they didn't happen last year. Everything was like so amazing for Kawhi that there has been kind of a correction on like his late game impact, and that's the center of their entire you know, uh, set up. Look, Paul George could continue to shoot 29% in the playoffs. If Kawhi Leonard plays like last year's Kawhi Leonard, they're still up 3-1 in this series, right? Regardless. And it, both of those things have not happened. I mean, Kawhi hasn't been as good as he was last year, and Paul George has fallen off a cliff, and now they're in some some big trouble. I'm still betting on those guys to kind of come back and, and round into form. I still think they're the better team than Dallas. Um, I mean, they're building mm-hmm. those leagues for, uh, for a reason, but it is a culture and mental test right now for them, right? They can't get down on each other. They can't be making excuses about who's injured and who's not. They can't be looking around confused in late game moments because Luca's out there acting like an assassin. They have to push back hard here. And I, I expect them to. Um, if they don't, I think it will be treated as an absolute catastrophe. And the only context I want to add here is if you look at uh, point differential for the regular season, basically like... Um, who were the best teams, you know, by point differential rather than record? You know, Dallas was sixth in the entire league in point differential. The Clippers were second, and they weren't separated by all that much. So nobody actually, you know, by the numbers, had a tougher first round opponent than the Clippers, um, mm-hmm. which is weird because it's a two seven matchup. You wouldn't normally expect that, um, but that's just sort of you know how it uh, how it happened to shake out this year. So. I don't think there's a lot of shame in being pushed so hard by Dallas. I think Dallas was just better than a lot of people realized. Um, but if they do lose, and you're talking about how much they invested to get Paul George, um, you know how they moved heaven and earth to make the Kawhi thing happen and everything else, it is an utter disaster. There's no kind of way around it. But I do think that like if that were to happen, it would say just as much about Dallas as it does about uh, the Clippers, even though uh, you know if, if it goes down that way, it will be treated as a Clippers-only story, right? If the Clippers lose this series, the Clippers are a massive disappointment. That is the storyline. It's not that Luka overcame this juggernaut, right? For, like for it's sure. That the, it's the, yeah. Would they be a bigger disappointment, <clears throat> do you think, than like the Pelicans or the Sixers? They would be the biggest disappointment, right? No question. Right now, Vegas has them as the favorites to win the championship. So, so get it together, Kawhi. <laughs> now is the time. Come on, Paul George. Figure this thing out. I mean, like... Look, the, the the Kawhi criticism that you're 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 piling on right now, some of it is deserved for sure. Like he has not been the best player in the world in some spots, um, but it's like it, at the end of the day, it comes down to Paul George, right? And I just don't know. I don't know if he how much of this is mental. I don't know. I look at his free throw numbers, and they are like he is not attacking the basket, and. I don't know if that's another injury. We're going to hear about a surgery that he had to ha- he has to have as soon as he leaves the bubble, which has been basically the theme of his career over the past five years. So, like, Paul George is, like, really the story here, in my opinion. And, which is not, I'm not, like, going out on a limb and saying that. But, like, I, ju- I just don't know 
Like, a lot of... And honestly, Ben, like, he's just passing up open shots For that sure. he would normally have no problem taking. Like, this is clearly a mental thing, uh, as well as... Which is really difficult to analyze, because you don't know what that even means. Um, and well, so what just, he's, he's mentioned during the regular season is that um, if he doesn't trust the shoulder, it he has admitted that it changes how he plays. So like he will not drive and attack the basket as hard. And when he was first coming back from the shoulder injury, he said, "Hey, it took me a couple of weeks to like, you know, even feel comfortable really going hard into the paint because you know you're you're just constantly thinking like, is something going to happen to me, right? And mm-hmm. if he doesn't feel comfortable." health wise that will impact if you if you pull the trigger on those shots if you're thinking about your body in any way you're much more likely to pump fake and and, or to pass things up to look off shots and keep the ball moving and i do think like if this winds up coming back to a health issue again for him that actually winds up being an even bigger disaster for the clippers right because then that puts into the entire plan of like all the things they traded for uh, paul george to make sure they could get Kawhi. that puts all of that into question Right. So it's like, that's, I mean, it it would kind of save him maybe a little bit of criticism in the short term. If like, oh, well, he had to go get shoulder surgery. That's why they lost. But in the long term, bigger picture, it actually invites more criticism of both him and the organization. Do you think that like when we talk about just the mental hurdles that he's clearly needing to overcome, do you think that the fact that the Clippers gave up basically their entire future for this guy like how much do you think that weighs on him at all or do you just think that he is he really needs to get off of social media right now yeah i'm in more of the latter category than the former um i do think that like he's clearly hearing the negative criticism i think poking the bear against lillard actually blew up both ways right because i can't do that (laughs) well well here's the thing i think that like obviously it inspired lillard to go nuts right Mm -hmm. but then i think it also brought i mean when lillard fires back and paints him as this guy who who changes teams and uh you know he he doesn't really want the fight or it it turns into this question of like who's going to be around in the playoffs longer let's compare resumes and all that kind of stuff that was just a dumb move right like paul george should not want to have that conversation given his last six years of his playoffs and you know when he does it he's probably thinking well we're cruising through the playoffs we're this juggernaut everything's cool no big deal um and again that goes back a little bit to the complacency and and what the emailer was writing about captain accountability there's just no need to have bulletin board material for lillard or to put that kind of pressure on yourself heading into a playoffs where you're on a team that hasn't done it together before um with full of players who have never won a title and have a lot to prove other than Kawhi leonard right so I, I think that was ill-advised. Um, you know, all of the social media followed afterwards where he's basically telling people he doesn't care about them and all of that. I, I think that's less important than sort of the original sin of the of the Lillard mocking because I think that just kind of hangs over them. Unless they get a title, that's going to come back to haunt him. And he already has other things like, you know, the playoff P nickname and, uh, you know, the other shortcomings in the playoffs that are just sort of hanging. They're, they're always there waiting for people to kind of like throw back into his face. And again, I don't think this is totally fair. I think Paul George is a very, very good player. I think he gets uh, undue criticism on social media. He's playing very poorly right now. And so anyone who's pointing to his efficiency numbers, I think that's well within the bounds. Um, but, uh, you know, he's got to be better. I think he realizes that. And he does seem, it's crazy because not only is he kind of shying away from shots, but it also feels like he's pressing at the same time too, right? Like he's uncomfortable both ways. Yeah, I mean, just be 
I, I just want Paul George to be more humble, I guess. Like, he hasn't really accomplished anything. Uh, it, like, I'm not going to say he hasn't accomplished anything in the NBA. That's not fair. But, look, if, like, Derrick Rose doesn't tear his ACL or those Pacers teams going to the Eastern Conference Finals and he's building this narrative where he gets to fist bump LeBron and the, uh, during a Game 7 uh, deep in the playoffs, like, all that stuff, if that stuff never happens, how do we even look at Paul George? Um, and... It's just like, you know, he brings a lot of this criticism on himself beyond just the play, but the way he answers questions. And for starters, nobody who says that they like if you have to publicly say that I don't care what you think, um, then that means that you care what everybody thinks. That's just like 101 psychology of being on a playground as a child. But also like. You know, bringing up uh, James Harden and denigrating him for reasons that I don't really even understand, uh, like, that's not cool either. Like, if you're playing poorly, just, like, own it. Be humble. Like, it's okay. Like, say I've been really struggling the end. You don't need to say I impact the game in different ways and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's, (laughs) dude, it's just like, I don't know, man. It's very frustrating. An interesting comparison here actually is is the Chris Middleton-Giannis dynamic. Because Kawhi has kind of shown, you know, a little bit of cover for Paul George. Oh, he's going to figure this out. Don't worry about it. And Paul George actually fell on his sword um, after game four and was like, look, if I'm shooting the ball better, this series looks different. I think that was an important uh, moment of kind of self uh, accountability there. But Kawhi Leonard is not like the rah-rah leader guy who's going to say, hey, we're not worried about it and be really convincing and give this whole soundbite to like pump up Paul George and like get him feeling comfortable. Like, Kawhi might not even know who Paul George is, for all we know, like, in terms of how they interact, right? <laughs> and if you, look at, if you look at Giannis and Chris Middleton, Chris Middleton um, had, I think, two points in one of the games against Orlando. They wound up winning anyways, but he was getting a lot of criticism, as always, because people like to pick on him. And Giannis came out after their Game 3 win, which is a blowout. Giannis played great. Middleton got back on track. And I posted this clip because I was actually really impressed by Giannis's leadership. But he just like went in for like a minute and a half about uh, how he trusts Chris, how Chris impacts the game in all these different ways. It's not just about scoring. It's not just about getting your own number. It's about being a good teammate and all those kinds of things and being a leader. You know, part of being a leader is fitting within a system. And, uh, you know, he really stood up for Chris in a very powerful way. I know it connected with Bucks fans. If I was Chris Middleton, it really would have connected with me too. Like I would have been like, "Thanks, man. Like you had my back. I appreciate it." You know, if I have a bad podcast here, Michael, I hope you put in a little bit more effort defending me than Kawhi put in uh, defending Paul George, and maybe you channel a little bit more of your inner Giannis to to step up for me. And I think that kind of matters too. And it goes back to leadership personality. Is that a potential flaw here? I mean, these things are not nearly as important as just what's happening on the court. But if you're trying to get a superstar level player comfortable and confident and just in rhythm in a weird environment like the bubble, those little things around the margins do matter, right? And we've heard LeBron and AD doing their little pep talks back and forth, trying to keep each other motivated and locked in. Um, I'm not sure we're going to get the same, you know, color about Kawhi inviting Paul George, oh, come on over to my you know, room and we can talk this through and figure out what's going on. I would love to hear that. They're probably never going to share it with us. Maybe it happens behind closed doors. That's just never the vibe I've gotten around these Clippers. Uh, it is much more of kind of like a, a professional group of individuals, um, you know, brought together as a team rather than like the most united team I've ever seen. I, I guess that's how I'd put it. 
Yeah, I mean, that. this just goes back to chemistry and on-court chemistry and off-court chemistry and why it all matters. And, you know, I think about a play, you bringing up Giannis and Chris Middleton, there was a play against the Pistons earlier this season where uh, Blake Griffin kind of knocked Giannis to the ground and then stepped over him, and Giannis didn't respond. And Chris Middleton sprinted over and was like, I'm going to fight you, Blake Griffin. And so I can't imagine... And Chris Middleton's really, like I, the nicest guy, right? Who's, who's he going to fight, you know? Exactly. So I can't imagine... Maybe I'm like misremembering something, but I can't really imagine something similar happening with the Clippers. And we know that there's been some dysfunction in their locker room throughout the season with treatment and preferential treatment and guys who were holdovers from that really likable team last season that took the Golden State Warriors to six uh, with, you know, kind of Kawhi and Paul George coming in and just there's a little bit of an entitlement issue. So I don't know, man. I think it's really interesting. Uh, Bottom line is just like Paul George, play better, be humble. Well said, well said. Um, All right, Michael, I think we've come to the end of another edition of the Open Floor Podcast. Guys, you can email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Like I said, Michael, it was a flurry of communication from the listeners from around the world. We tried to get as many as we could into this episode, but keep them coming. I imagine later this week we're going to double back with updates on the Lakers-Blazers series. We should dig in a little bit more to the, uh, the Sixers imploding. Um, We've got a really juicy Boston versus Toronto second round matchup that everybody's been waiting for. That's about to start. And a whole bunch of other things, you know, Donovan Mitchell going crazy. Just try to keep up with all the basketball action, Michael. I dare you. See if you can do it. All right. And listeners, you can find us on uh, the Apple podcast page by searching for open floor. When you get there, scroll down, it will say rate and review tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word uh, during these ongoing playoffs. Michael is on Twitter and Instagram at Michael Viazin Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben Doc Oliver on Twitter at Ben Golliver. Guys, it was a very busy weekend. I wrote columns on Joel Embiid's future. I've got a story up about Michelle Roberts and the leader, uh, you know, the leadership of the, the National Basketball Players Association and what next year's negotiations are starting to look like. I've got a column in my newsletter about uh, the LA Clippers. And if you need more Luca, I had a Luca story as well. So guys, go to Washington Post, check it all out, dive in deep. It was a crazy weekend. I enjoyed it. Hopefully you're enjoying it with us. All right, Michael. Until later this week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card. Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.